Well, good morning. So good to see you guys here this morning. If you want to be opening your Bibles this morning, the men's Bibles should flop open to Psalm 46. And we're going to be in Psalm 46 together again this morning. Before I share from the word with us this morning, many of you would have gotten a notice from us this week, an email or some kind of news uh, that we sent out to the members of the church. I realize sometimes we don't get a chance to open all of our emails and keep up with some of those things. So you may be hearing this for the first time. And I hate to be the person bearing such weighty news. Uh, last weekend, last Sunday when you were gathered here while the men were away, you guys prayed for Bill Treby who had gone to the hospital uh, last Sunday morning early. Bill went to be with the Lord. Yeah, um, last Sunday morning, last Sunday evening, and uh, uh, it's been a it's, it's been a, a weighty week. Um, Bill is Bill's an institution of a man, and his influence in our lives has uh, I just don't know. If there's there's too many people that has had a greater influence on this church. Most of us uh, realized the next day after Bill died and the elders and I were exchanging some communication with each other. And for all of us, it would mean today was the first day at Lakeview Christian Center without Bill. Um, Bill has been, I've had the privilege of serving uh, the elders with Bill for over three decades. And Phil and uh, I think Phil might be, and Peter have been serving with Bill for longer than that. Bill has been in this church since 1965 is when he first visited Lakeview Christian Center. It wasn't in Lakeview at the time. It was, it was uptown. And he has been an influential, godly person in this setting for all those years. And I realize for some of us in the last couple of years, especially as, as Nancy's health uh, changed and Bill's health was changing as well, there, there was just limitation on how much Bill could be around all the folks in the church. So some of you are seeing a picture of Bill and you, and you didn't get a chance to get around him as much. Can I, can I just tell you this? What you have experienced in this church uh, has got Bill's fingerprints all over it before many of us came to this church because men like Bill had served here and had created a setting that people wanted to come and be discipled in this place and be taught God's word and be cared for. I'm going to be careful not to preach Bill's funeral here. Just Bill's the thoughts that come to mind for this man uh, for so many years are... are too many. I'm, I am going to preach his funeral, so I'm not going to preach his funeral this morning. This morning was just a, a desire for us to know together that a man who has led us and cared for us and influenced our lives for decades uh, is now in the presence of the Lord, enjoying the ultimate version of what he was created for. We have a limited version of what we're created for here. Bill is enjoying the ultimate version of what he was created for. Um, and you know, this, this provides us moments. Life is always full of teaching moments. I want to pray for us. Um, I want to make sure that I know we've got, yeah, this is, 
the service, given, given some of Nancy's health uh, issues to, to care for Bill's family who is out of town. Uh, but that on your calendar will obviously be making more mention of that as we get a little bit closer. But before I pray for us, Ecclesiastes chapter 3 says, For everything there is a season and a time. For every matter under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. Um, we are a people who do not grieve as those who do not have hope. Um, let me just encourage the church and perhaps educate us as well. Because in all carefulness, if you're part of the body of Christ, there's something about us that wants to rush people past their pain into hope. Almost, We're almost disturbed by people being in pain. Um, you don't need to do that. You don't need to be the means by which hope gets introduced because quite often there is a time to mourn and there is a time to grieve. They are both appropriate responses. God does not close his eyes to the fact that a world was designed for permanence and now it lives a temporary version of that. And you and I who are living still in this world, we are not in heaven yet. We only know by faith the realm that Bill has entered into, and we have great joy on his behalf. But in this setting, it is appropriate that there is mourning and grieving for a season. And some people can go from weeping to laughter in a shorter period of time. Some can go from mourning to dancing in a shorter period of time. Do not install your time frame on someone else. If somebody needs to mourn a little longer, and you've moved on to dancing, um, well, there's no script here that says how long that's got to happen. But Bill is a man who affected a variety of lives in a variety of ways, and uh, some of us are going to have a little harder time adjusting to the fact that he's not here. I'm going to be one of them. So, let's pray together. Lord, we are mindful that we live in a world created by you. Lord, there's nothing in this setting that exists that you are not the author, the creator, the originator of. So the Lord gives and the Lord takes back to himself. And Lord, you do no wrong in that. So Lord, we are, we are not gathered to accuse you of at any time we lose the ones that we love, Lord, because this is a reminder that ultimately they were not ultimately created for us. They were created for you. So Lord, uh, you have held off long enough to share fully your joy and your affection with our dear friend, Bill. And you have taken him to yourself. 
And so, Lord, uh, we rejoice in knowing that there is fullness of joy in our friend's heart right now as he is standing before you, amazed, Lord. Uh, he would love to tell us what he is seeing and what he's experiencing. Uh, Lord, in our setting, Lord, we will travel through grief. We will travel through mourning. Uh, Lord, our hearts carry Nancy uniquely uh, through this time, Lord. So, Lord, this morning, would you make us a force before your throne of grace in the coming days? Lord, may we not be quiet before you as we pray for Nancy and we pray for grace to invade this hour of her life and the needs that she is experiencing. Lord, may the windows of heaven be opened and be poured out in incredible abundance upon her life, Lord, that we would see the grace that we know is sufficient would be exactly that for Nancy in these days. And Lord, we pray that as well for all of Bill's family, Lord, who are experiencing this day of loss, even with the mindfulness that eternity's doors have been opened to Bill and he is blameless with great joy in your presence today. Lord, we're grateful. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Peter did offer to do the announcement for me. Probably should have let you. Either that will let you preach now. You want to come up and preach? (laughs) We have been engaging the start of 2022 with a series of messages that we've called the Great Pause. And rather than just rolling into the next year, because 2022 is here, the next cycle of life is upon us, and and we're just going to step into that next place and, and do 2022. The way the Bible reads, it is filled with moments where the next thing needs to get interrupted by an exchange with God. And, and, you know, I don't want to take for granted, we can be in this building this morning and and not be postured for an exchange with God, right? I mean, you know that. I mean, you've been to church before and kind of hit and miss. Something, Something was there, but it didn't really connect with me. We need exchanges with God. And so we've paused the start of 2022 to have some exchanges with God this morning, titled the message, it's our last in this series, Pausing for Courage. Kelly Capick has written a rather interesting book, at least the portion I've read so far, titled You're Only Human, How Our Limits Reflect God's Design and How That's Good News. Listen listen to this. It says, a few years ago, I had a podcast interview with a woman who had read my book, a little book for new theologians, and wanted to talk about it. Part of what made this interview stimulating was that most of her audience were mothers who primarily spent their time caring for their young children. She wanted her listeners to discover how relevant theology was to their lives. Near the end of the interview, she asked, any other big theological concepts that we moms should major in? She apparently thought I would use the softball question and talk about divine sovereignty or some other high-octane doctrine. But instead, my answer was human finitude. It's a fancy word for limitation. 
She was fairly surprised. My response grew out of my concern that many of us North American Christians have a very weak and underdeveloped doctrine of creation, which I think Ronald did an excellent job helping us understand creation a few weeks ago. This problem is something I can only hint at here, though in a later chapter I'll revisit this point. What I mean is that we must rediscover that being dependent creatures is a constructive gift, not a deficiency. Clever readers might even notice that using dependent as an adjective for creature is basically redundant. There are no creatures who are not, by their nature, dependent beings. Our dependency does not merely point to abstract ideas of divine providence, but takes concrete form, listen, when we rely on others, on the earth, on institutions and traditions. This is an introduction to something that's so easily overlooked. We are limited creatures. And when you put limitation into the reality of our experience, and then you make clear that your existence relies on something outside of you, then you get introduced to something called vulnerability. And you also get introduced to why it is that that change in our lives can, can feel so hard. When you are a creature relying on others, and there's nobody in this room who's so spiritual that we're not relying on others, because that's not a result of the fall. God designed us to rely on things outside of ourselves. It's one of the greatest troubles that the human heart has, is to not invent a world that doesn't rely on God. We rely on God, and then God has made it to where our reliance on him shows up in relying on things around us, on people around us, on settings around us, on traditions that inform our lives. So when those things change and you find yourself troubled by that, that's why. It's a little bit more to it than just, hey, suck it up, hey, have faith. There's a sense of awareness in that moment that I recognize my limits. And things are changing in a way that I don't know how to predict what might happen in the future. He says, we must learn the value and truthfulness of our finitude. Eventually getting to the point where we might even praise God for our limits. Since we've walked in the beginning of this year, we have, we have paused to gather with us some things that that need to travel with us. These are things that we need to be mindful of. We paused with Noah and and watched Noah at this transition of his life, get reminded by God about the covenant of grace so that Noah would know how God was postured to travel with him into the future. And you and I need that. So we travel through this coming year. We need to be reminded. Jesus paused on his way into ministry and by the Holy Spirit, was introduced to the fact that that you're going to meet this adversary along your journey. He's the first thing that Jesus encounters as he sets out to do ministry. And we are reminded 
Do not be shocked and surprised when an adversary shows up at your doorstep, an enemy with temptations and with power. And he touches your life in some way. Do not be shocked by that. And in 2022, if the devil comes knocking on your door in 2022, do not be surprised. Right, we pause with the church on the vista of this new day when the Holy Spirit now dwells in individuals and he's going to transfer the power of God and the gospel of God into the world. We pause with the church as they did to be reminded we need power. We need a mindfulness of where that power comes from in our lives. We pause at the dawn of creation. and Ronald and Peter have interacted with us in that category for the last two weeks. That just as God created things, there, there was a mindfulness to be aware that the creation exists with certain things interacting with it. And then the fall took place and the fall introduced another set of things that now interacts with that. Now today... Uh, I want us to pause and be reminded of our creatureliness. And with that comes vulnerability. And you cannot escape it. There are going to be moments where you're going to experience a sense of vulnerability. But Psalm 46 is going to introduce us to the ability to take courage in the midst of our vulnerability. So I want to make sure we're aware. One of the things you and I will need to travel through 2022 is we will need courage to do this year. Let's read Psalm 46. Together, you men who attended the weekend with us, we pulled a lot of... Let's hear this morning from Psalm 46 again, verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow. And shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. When you read Psalm 46... Don't rush past the setting that it creates. It creates a setting on its way to a solution. That setting is a setting of vulnerability. When you read the descriptions, and I'm going to go carefully through these words so that we understand, there is a setting that life can and more than likely will find itself in that suddenly awakens in us that something has come to our lives 
that makes us feel more vulnerable than we were just a few minutes ago, or maybe we were last year. I don't know if you have like a chart of your vulnerability, like an EKG or something, and you travel through life. There'd be moments where, you know, you didn't feel all that vulnerable. This is what we love about the simplicity of childhood. You know, don't you just love, I love this for my kids. My kids are all older now, but I love this in the years in that they were little. They didn't know how vulnerable they were. And ignorance is bliss, isn't it? <laughs> and so there's this period in time where your kids are just like, you know, they're, they, they could be living in a setting where terrible things are happening all around them. But for them, they just feel safe, you know, they're just mom and dad are providing and there's a household there and tomorrow's the next day and, and everything's going to be cool. And your kids, little ones, they feel that way. But, but then at some point they, they get old enough to, to, to go to a new school. And all of a sudden, you see it affect them. They're aware. The surroundings have changed. This doesn't feel the same. I, I don't know how to predict how those people are going to relate to me and treat me. As a matter of fact, I had a bad experience with one of the kids at school today. I don't know. This environment now feels threatening. And all of a sudden, there's a vulnerability that gets awakened in their lives. You know, you can move from one season of your life to another season. And I remember traveling through young adulthood. I've got a bunch of kids who have entered into that next chapter in, in our home that, you know, it, it's, it's a new day. It, it's, there's new jobs. There's new careers. You work with new people. So it's unfamiliar settings. And so there's not this pre- ability to predict what's the future going to be like. Like if you've moved, maybe you're new to New Orleans and you've moved here and there's a lot of uncertainty going on just because you're you're here in a new setting you don't know about friends and how are we going to fit in and will we get along with folks and will my kids get along with people and we feel more vulnerable you get a little older seasons change again and then health becomes a concern and all of a sudden you're paying attention to different signals that are that are in your body and what was what was fine forever now has a diagnosis attached to it and the future doesn't quite feel the same so i mean if we had an ekg there'd be moments where our vulnerability is way up here and then sometimes it just kind of simmers down and we're okay and we get used to that and then something else comes and it's way up here psalm 46 goes out of its way to create an environment of vulnerability that's where it spends its time in the beginning And it introduces us to the solution to that setting, right? So in verse one, God is a refuge, strength, a help in trouble. Listen to the setting. Listen to the vocabulary words used by the psalmist here. When when do I need a refuge? Uh, I need a refuge when I'm outdoors and a storm comes. And violent lightning comes. And and I feel the sense that something's going to cave in on me. People take refuge when a tornado hits. And they get up underneath things. And they find a place in their home. And it wasn't safe even to be in that room. you got to be in this room now. Because I perceive that there is a threat coming my way. And I, I need to get sheltered. That word actually is the word for shelter in the Bible. God is a strength. You know, there are moments when you and I are doing life that we get in touch with the fact that I just can't do this. And, and if God needs to be our strength, can we, can we have a 
conference here with the folks who don't like to hear anything negative and therefore they correct you when you, I can't do this. Don't say can't. Um, Well, reality is there are things you can't do. There is a reason why we need the strength of God because I don't have the strength to do certain things. And it's almost like this independent activity from God fosters in us a support theology And we don't want to hear anybody say that. The psalmist is not afraid to say that. Because he recognizes in creation, Adam and Eve weren't sufficiently strong in and of themselves. They were created to need God. So when you find yourself in a place where you're sort of gasping for air, because you you need something that's greater than who you are, don't, don't be shocked by that. You're designed for that moment. God never intended you to be able to be strong enough on your own for everything. So you're going to get to a moment where you feel like, I I just can't do this. And you feel vulnerable and you may even begin to panic a little bit. That's when you call for help, right? When do I need help? Well, I need help when I'm not self-sufficient. I need help when I don't have adequate resources available to me. Help is a reality that I need. And then there's, there's trouble here. There are moments where Psalm 46 is creating a setting where that's trouble. That thing right there, that situation, that season, that moment, legitimately is labeled trouble in my life. And so the psalmist is not blind to the fact that this is how life can and does feel for us. And in those moments, when those words come together, there is a sense as a creature, what comes with that is vulnerability. I I feel vulnerable. And you don't feel vulnerable because somehow you you have colored outside the faith lines. You have, you have failed to do something spiritually, therefore you would never experience vulnerability. Now the Bible's interacting with the fact that godly people are going to experience these settings in real ways. So there is a vulnerability for Adam and Eve in their creatureliness even before sin arrives. But then when sin arrives, everything gets jacked up to another level. So the sense that you and I could, might experience vulnerability, ah, please please don't be shocked by that. Like if you were a good Christian, you'd never experience vulnerability. No. You are a limited creature. And there is sin in the world and there is weakness in you. And so you will experience vulnerability. Uh, We're not trying to apologize for that. We're trying to grasp what's in this psalm that can help us. Therefore, verse 2, we will not fear. We will not fear. Why why is that the first thing that gets mentioned? Oh, because in, in this psalm, these conditions... This vulnerability taps into fear. As soon as we feel vulnerable, the response temptation is fear. Which, by the way, this is in the human DNA at some level. What you see in Adam and Eve from the moment that they have stepped away from complete dependence on God. Of course, the salesman who showed up 
in the garden didn't read the fine print to them. That tree of knowledge, you know, it's going to unplug you from God. And then you're going to have to take all that knowledge that you get and know what to do with it. Now, he didn't explain to them they weren't going to know what to do with it. They were now going to have a knowledge of good and evil that they couldn't manage. And they couldn't make sense of all that life would be. They had been thrust open into sensory overload in the sense of what's good and what's evil and how to make sense of it all. And they could not. And in that moment, they became vulnerable. What did they do? What was the first response, the first human response to their vulnerability? Was to run and hide. They're hiding from God. Because fear has taken over. Ed Welch, in his excellent book, Running Scared, he says, quick, what is by far God's most frequent command? Well, the usual suspects include, you know, do not commit adultery, have no other gods before me, love one another. The actual answer is do not be afraid. You will find that phrase, do not be afraid or fear not, more times in scripture than any other command. Might it be that God knew exactly the condition of the creatures that he had made who were designed to depend upon him in intimate fellowship, but now they have become unplugged in a world that is disorienting and concerning. And so God's voice is often, often heard, do not be afraid. Why? Why does he have to tell his people that? Because they're afraid. So if you have traveled through seasons of vulnerability and fear, do not be surprised by that. Right? I'm now, you know, pastors in some ways are like spiritual tour guides. You know, hey, this year we're going to be traveling across 2022. Can I just give you a heads up for some of the things you're going to be experiencing? Uh, if you read your Bible and we care for one another from Scripture, then that's kind of what we're doing with one another as we navigate life together. Uh, I would be irresponsible to tell you at some points in 2022, you're probably going to be very, very scared. I don't want you to be surprised by that. You're going to feel a sense of vulnerability, a sense of disorientation, a sense of sudden tragedy, loss, or just mounting, piling up of things that you can't figure out how to solve that. And your creatureliness will put you in this posture. Right, when you read in verse 2, we will not fear. Listen, listen to the surrounding possibilities here. Though the earth gives way. Though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. Though its waters roar and foam. Though the mountains tremble at its swelling. I love the imagery that's here. You know, Psalms are poetic imagery that, that creatively put us in touch with how life can feel. And when I listen to the descriptions that are here, the earth and mountains and the, the oceans, I, I, I see these massive things that are in human lives. Things that we would begin to expect. You cannot move those things. Those things don't change. The psalmist turns around and says, what if they did? What if in the coming year, 
your mountains moved. You know, when I think about, I think about Bill Treby. Bill Treby was a mountain. You know, mountains, we didn't grow up out west. And those of you guys who grew up around mountains, there's something orienting about a mountain, a big mountain. It's, it's a landmark, right? You, you kind of shop the horizon and you found that big mountain and you know exactly where you are. You, you can figure out where you are because that thing never moves, right? We grew up in Louisiana where things change around here, right? I grew up fishing and, and hunting in the swamps of South Louisiana. And, and you go back over the years to a spot that you had just fished in and all of a sudden it's like it looks totally different. I'm just like... Where all the land go? I mean, just erosion. But one thing that we would do back then is we would look up to find water towers that were near a town. You could tell where you were because if you could find the water tower, water tower never goes away. It's, it's a landmark that's always there. And as creatures who are limited and who rely on other things, and we do, and we can't erase that, we need things like mountain tension, whatever fires we're trying to put out, we, we look up and we locate the mountain and it's like, okay, all right, I know where I am right now. And the psalmist comes along and he says, well, what if those mountains begin to tremble and change shape? What if the things that were steady and immovable and predictable in your life, what if those things changed on you? This is, the, this is the environment that's getting created here. You know, there are some things in our lives that are big moves, big changes in our life. And suddenly life feels different and we feel disoriented. We've not traveled this area before. We don't know what to expect. We never walked through this setting. So when you get to a place where... Uh, suddenly you're in a new season of life. You, you have, you know, actually Gene and I found ourselves we have 30 years or so of marriage and parenting and just doing family. And suddenly we've, we have lifted up our eyes and children have gone to the next chapter. They've now moved into careers and they've moved into their own homes. And, and suddenly it's like, oh, we don't know how to do that part of life. We, we hadn't read the script for those years and Things feel disorienting. Things feel foreign in ways that for the last 30 years, that's not how life has felt. When, when you lose someone that you love, those of you here who have gone through a divorce, those are mountain-moving, earth-giving-way moments in our lives. And, and, and obviously, the, the imagery here, we live in South Louisiana, so some of this is actually natural disasters. These are disasters that were going on around them. You know, the earth trembling. They lived in an earthquake area, right? Mountains being moved. Well, you need volcanoes that erupt. The, the, the water's foaming and roaring. Well, we know something about that one, right? We've had the waters come visit us, and they're supposed to stay in their place, but they don't. And when they show up, they wreck our world. And they're very disorienting when that happens. So there are things in our lives. The psalmist wants to be clear. Listen, there are going to be some things in your life that look like they would never change. They would never move and those people would never go away. And then suddenly they do change. And then he depicts this setting of, of 
intense conflict. He creates the imagery. He goes from natural disasters and, and big things changing to a city under siege. This is the language of a city under siege, which would have been common. That's why they put walls around the city, because they would lock themselves inside the city. And that city would become their fortress. And they would keep the enemy on the outside. But, of course, the enemy had plans to starve you to death and to cut off your water supply. So there was a threat when you got surrounded by an enemy army that they could outlast you. And and you were going to die inside that city. Verse 6, the nations rage. The kingdoms totter. Verse 9, we're introduced to the God who makes wars Cease, he can make those hostilities come to a different place. He breaks the bow, shatters the spear, and burns the chariots, right? These are the things that felt threatening to the audience of the psalmist, and they feel that way to us as well. Nations rage. All right, well, maybe most of us aren't dealing with nations, and we're not dealing with geographic borders. Anybody felt the disorienting disorienting impact of conflicts? In your life, where suddenly the people that you had peace with or that you were a part of anger there. Now there's division there. Now we're not seemingly getting along anymore. And, and you guys all know you you pay attention to the world around us. The last couple of years, you know, has been a, a time where people are choosing a different set of sides to be on. You know, there was there were little tribes and little groups that we knew we identified with, and we could be safe with them. These are our peeps. You always felt that way. And I say this with a great tone of aggravation as a pastor. You always felt like the church was the place where we had something in common that outweighed everything else that we could ever try and have in common with one another. It was Jesus Christ. And how many of you guys have watched in the last two years? That didn't weigh enough to Christians because political views and racial views and opinions in our world outweighed it. And Christians begin to rage against one another and conflicts arose and people left churches and people left relationships. And the psalmist says, don't close your eyes. That happens. Even if that does happen. And then he throws out some weapons there. There's, there's bows, there's spears and there's chariots. Right, this is that moment for us. We, again, we don't encounter some of these things, but, but we encounter people and situations that we feel like whatever weapons they have, they're better weapons than the ones we have. Right? Um, most of us have had to go to war with our insurance companies. If you're filed an insurance claim, you've had to go to war with your insurance companies. And you've, you've walked down this road at some level. You've already assessed that they, they got more money than you do. They got more time than you do. They've got better attorneys than you have, right? They got better weapons, don't they? You want to go to war? You want to try and get your money? Well, they've got bows and arrows and spears and chariots. Chariots are the ultimate in this, by the way. If, if an enemy showed up and surrounded your city and he had chariots, you were like, oh my gosh, they've got chariots. There's somebody in your world that has better weapons than you do, that you're in conflict with. You've gone through a breakup of a marriage. He or she hired a better attorney. Right? I mean, you just, you just live in these moments where what, what if, what if these things happened? And, and this is the setting that the psalmist creates and says, this is what life can feel like. 
And here's where he answers this vulnerability and calls us to find courage in the midst of that setting. I wrote in your outline, the psalmist intentionally taps into our sense of vulnerability in this psalm. He tries to create the worst case scenario. If this happened, or this happened, or this, or this. Okay, what else? Did I leave anything out? Well, there's wars and conflicts. I mean, he just pulls it all in here. Then he plays the trump card. If all that happens, God is with us. That's his card. That's what the Bible presents to us. Not the thought that you and I won't do life in these categories, but there's something greater than that in this psalm. God is with us. I don't know if I included this in your outline, but, but please take note. This psalm does not invite us to ponder a world that is safe or comfortable or one where we get some kind of a spiritual fast pass. You know, that's where we don't have to wait in line with the rest of the fallen world. We kind of get to go quickly through troubles and difficulties and health problems. we got a fast pass, right? We're Christians. And, you know, in, in some regard, I get where we have that expectation. There is this unusual category of covenant favor that God brings into our lives. But don't overextend that as though when, when the world is the world and even God is at work around us in this world that you and I... If we just pray the right prayer or act the right way, we get a fast pass. We don't have to do any of that suffering. We don't have to pass through what other people have to pass through. Um, not exactly. Right, we hung out the men's retreat with Elijah. If you study Elijah's story, Elijah is one of the most powerful, godly men in the Old Testament. I mean, if you met this guy, you would be intimidated to be around him. And when, when King Ahab and Jezebel create world conditions of neglecting righteousness and God's judgment falls upon the land and God shuts the water off, did you know it got shut off for Elijah too? Remember, he's living out in some wilderness setting. Well, why is he living way out there? Well, because the king wants to kill him. And it wouldn't be wise for you to live in the city. So now he, he lives way out in the country. And he lives by this little creek. And one day the creek dries up. Wait, what do you mean the creek dries up? The creek dries up. God's man, Elijah, the most powerful man ever in the Bible, stares at an empty creek bed one day and says, well, no more water. And then he moves by God's design. And the, the person who's going to put him up to stay is this widow in Zarephath, when he shows up, she doesn't have any food. She's got one meal that she's preparing before she and her son are going to die. It's like, wait, God sent me here. You got to have more than that, right? I mean, you got a pantry somewhere. I'm supposed to be here with you. Isn't it interesting that in this moment, Elijah is not depicted, you know, here's God and all life is happening. And where's Elijah, the godly man full of faith? Well, he's on his yacht in the Mediterranean, just hanging out, sipping iced tea. No, he is in the moment that Psalm 46 describes. And he is having to walk his way through it. The, the Bible's not presenting this idea to us. Hey, if you're a Christian, you get the safe comfortable, convenient version of life. Our famous Psalm 23 
says, even though, same concept, even though mountains move, mountains tremble, and earth gives way, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. Trump card. The psalmist doesn't write that he will fear no evil because I'm a Christian and I won't be in any valleys. See, God is going to make sure. And and if I just walk by faith and I obey God, there will be no valleys for me. How many of us, this is what the prosperity gospel has done to the church. These are the subtle things. I mean, sometimes we think about the prosperity gospel that it's introduced us to find jewelry and fast cars. No, no, what it's done to you is it's created the idea that so much of the universe is within your power to manipulate and control by what you do and by what you do with your faith. So the only outcome is if, if things aren't going well for you, you're probably to blame. So then when you find yourself in a valley, you have to figure out, well, why are you in that valley? What stupid thing did you do to get yourself in the valley? I didn't do anything stupid. I'm just living life in a fallen world. So after you've dug yourself out of your own sense of condemnation, which you shouldn't have been condemned by that in the first place. Psalm 46 is talking to every one of us. Psalm 23 is talking to every one of us. Even though the mountains tremble, are they trembling because of you? Even though the earth gives way, well, probably because you didn't tithe last year. Which that might be true, by the way. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. The Bible's not trying to convince us that you are. It's within your power to be totally safe in this world. It is letting us know there are valleys. And when you get in that valley, you are going to feel vulnerable. Here's the remedy, not to tell you that you're in the wrong location, but to remind you that God is with you. That's what the scriptures present to us. Your outline I wrote, our hope in Psalm 46 and in scripture is not that we will be exempt from pain and vulnerability in this life, but that he is with us. And he will be to us what we genuinely need him to be as Creatures. I'm going to finish this month. I'm going to finish my 57th year on the planet. It will go down as my most unfavorite year of all 57 of them. It has plenty of Psalm 46 in it. I'm not sure if Psalm 46 is trying to tell us to like any of these events, so I don't feel bad telling you that. There have been mountains, long-standing, steady things that suddenly feel like, didn't that used to be over there? Right? I'm just awakened to moments where, wait, who moved that mountain? That's been there for decades. That's been there for years. And the unsaid assumption is, I, I thought that would always be there. I thought that wouldn't move and it it feels really disorienting. Now I open the front door and there's, there's no mountain there. It's like, wait, 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 wait. Where am I? Am I in, I'm in the wrong house. Where am I? 
Right? That's what it feels like sometimes when you get to a moment where mountains move. And yet the Bible says that's possible. There can be moments where those circumstances put me freshly in touch with my creatureliness and my vulnerability. Tim Keller in his book, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering, says suffering transforms our attitude toward ourselves. It humbles us and removes unrealistic self-regard and pride, which are very hard to remove for Americans because we have a lot of resources that we can put our hands on. We can move stuff around in our lives with our resources. It shows us how fragile we are. As Davies points out, average people in Western society have extremely unrealistic ideas of how much control they have over how their lives go. Suffering removes the blinders does not so much make us helpless and out of control as it shows us we have always been vulnerable and dependent on God. Even if your EKG doesn't always show that vulnerability. Suffering merely helps us wake up to the fact and live in accordance with it. So we have a hard time when life feels out of control. When life feels like they're, they're, it's not within my power to make certain outcomes take place. That's troubling for us. That makes us feel vulnerable. Let me give you this thought from Kelly Capick's book. He says, when brokenness of the world hits our human limitations, it strains our emotions will, and understanding past their abilities, past their abilities. Don't raise your hand, but somewhere along the line, somebody tried to comfort you in your suffering by saying, God won't give you more than you can handle. And you appreciated the kindness in which that was offered. You walked away from that, though, scratching your head. Because in reality... All of life is more than you can handle. Because from the very beginning, God didn't set Adam and Eve in the garden and say, you guys got this. Send me a postcard from time to time and walk away. As though man could exist on his own. Man can now navigate this. He's got this. He was in over his head from the moment he was set on earth. God designed him that way. God designed man to need something more than himself. God always gives you more than you can handle so that you will seek out his help. We're just a little slow to figure that out. So much of what you and I have accomplished, and this is, again, this is, we, don't, we don't pause and we don't think accurately, and we start thinking we have accomplished so much. We have done so much in our lives. And the more we start thinking that, at some point, we're, we're going to get in this moment where severe panic is going to set in. Because we got us here. We got to keep us going. But, but what if God 
is the one in the details? What if God is the one who gets us wherever it is that we're going? Well, he'll get us there when things change. So even if the mountains move, even if the earth gives way, the most steady thing around you, if it gives way and it falls out from underneath your feet, there's this God who's in the city. There's this God who is a fortress to you. He will not be moved. Right? That's what I'm called to know. Kelly goes on and says, all of us bounce between the illusion that we are in control and the world's demonstration that we are not. Whether through tragedy or simply as a result of aging, we all are repeatedly reminded that we are fragile and dependent creatures. Unfortunately, patients still die in surgery under the care of excellent physicians. And earnest parents mistakenly assume they can get it perfectly right, ignorant of their own blind spots, larger cultural factors, and personality differences. What we do matters. We can and do change things. But when we suppose that we can control all our circumstances, we soon find out we can't. The odd thing is, That even when we run into our inevitable limits, we often hang on to the delusion that if we just work harder, if we simply squeeze tighter, if we become more efficient, we can eventually regain control. That's a scary thought, isn't it? I mean, think about that as you start the year and you try to ramp up all your hyper productivity, which I do every year. It's, it's me trying to be more efficient. And so the pressure that it creates that I could create a world, that I could make it happen this way instead of that way. Now transfer that into anything else you do. Transfer that into your parenting. Oh, that's fun for the kids, isn't it? When they're living with people who think, oh, if I just become more efficient, more controlling, more pressurized, more paying attention to every breath that you are breathing as a human being, because I somehow am going to keep you totally safe in this world. Can I break it to all parents? God has not designed this world to be safe for anyone. He's designed it to need God. We will not create the ultimate environment that protects our children from everything. And if we would just read the right book and apply the right principle, then our children, you're going to be in for a day of massive shock. When something that you could not have known, could not have foreseen, and could not have controlled comes into your world. Our hope, our courage this year, it's not in us. It's in the God of the city, who's a river in our midst. Who, though the hostilities around us would choke the life out of that city, there's a river in that city whose streams make glad the city of God. God! is in the midst of her. She won't be moved. That's where our confidence is. The odd thing is that even when we... I already read that. When I complain about getting older, my wife sometimes laughs and says to me, you have two options. Either you are getting older or you are dead. (laughs) Denying our finitude cripples us 
in ways we don't realize. And listen, it also distorts our view of God and what Christian spirituality should look like. Christian spirituality should be bumping into our limitations, bumping into the fact that we really do rely on things outside of ourselves. And in moments that reliance gets threatened and our limits are insufficient. And therefore, what kind of condition are we in? Well, we're in the condition that needs to depend upon and look to God, which God doesn't mind. Listen, I'm allergic to the moment where life feels it's out of control and I don't have the power to to make it become what I want it to be. I'm allergic to that. God is not. God knows that's the starting point of me seeking him. So when you get to that moment where it feels like life is suddenly irreparable, threatening, moving things, changing things, threatening situations and people in your life. I'm in the right posture now to need God as a creature. And that's exactly where God wants me to be. So in that moment, we take courage. God introduces himself into this psalm as one who has a providential past and a guaranteed future, right? That's how he's predicted here. He guarantees he will be exalted in this world. And we're called to remember his resume. There's something about who God is that we need to take into account. Ed Welch had an interesting story in his book where he says, I was walking through the nearby woods with our friend's six-year-old son. All was well until he noticed that dusk was setting in. With that, his fears announced that danger was close at hand. Whatever it is that happens in the dark was about to happen. Seeing an opportunity to teach him about God's care, I I picked him up, put him on my shoulders, and countered his increasing fears. Don't be afraid, because I am with you. I will defend you. My intent was to create an analogy that pointed him to God's care. His response, however, was to cry louder. No doubt... He hoped his ear-piercing screams would summon someone more powerful than I. (laughs) He knew I loved him in a fatherly way, but he also knew the woods were not my domain. (laughs) He knew that I was not the Lord of the woods. But there is one who is the Lord of the woods. Is there not? And that's who we get introduced to in Psalm 42. Six. Kurt, you can come back up. In verse six. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. Huh. Well, he utters his voice. And the whole place melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come. Behold the works of the Lord. He's brought desolations in the earth, right? That's in the midst of you experiencing desolations. Did some people bring desolations into your life? Did some circumstances bring desolations into your life? Did did politicians, economics bring desolations into your life, right? We get introduced to behold the works of the Lord. He, he has brought some serious desolations on the earth. He makes wars dry up. He says when they're over, he breaks the bow, shatters the spear. 
Those chariots you're so afraid of, he burns them up. Be still. Know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Psalm 46, I think I may have put this in your outline at the end there. Psalm 46 arms me with the response I need. Lean in and depend on and trust in the God who is with you. He is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. Things around us may move, but he will not be moved. Hostilities may threaten like an army besieging a city, but God will help us fight forces that seem to outnumber and outgun us. There are Psalm 46 settings in our lives from time to time. They're not always here. Aren't you grateful for that? Seasons when we're mountains are exactly where mountains always are. The earth is steady and strong. So the Bible's not trying to teach us that this is an everyday thing. For everybody expect your whole world to fall apart constantly. That's not Psalm 46. But, but you and I live in these moments that get severely interrupted by those kinds of situations that show up. And Psalm 46 is trying to say, even if, even if, you know the thing you're afraid of? Even if that were to happen, God is our refuge and strength. He's a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we won't fear. You know, the number one response, that thing that all of us give into. But but that's not going to be our response. Here's why. Not because we've figured out how to avoid valleys. We're going to never be in a valley ever again because we have figured out how to be Christians who don't ever go through valleys. That's our hope. No. Not because every mountain is going to stay exactly where it always was. No. We have courage because God is with us. And it might be getting dark outside. And we may be tempted to be afraid because we don't know what's going to happen in the dark. Kind of like it when it's light. But the Lord of the woods is with us. He's just as much Lord in the dark as he is in the daytime. And that's going to be true for us. 2022. I hope it's going to give us a little bit of a break in some of these categories, quite honestly. And I'm not wrong for hoping that, by the way. The Bible never sets up these examples. Lord, I just read Psalm 46. Bring it on, all of it. There's no idiot in the Bible praying that way. So I'm hoping 2022 is like, wow, do you remember how the mountains moved in 2021? But for some of us, in whatever category... You may venture into a place where that thing that's been steady in your life, unchanging, immovable, it's trembling. It's starting to get dark. Don't be surprised if fear starts to well up in your heart. And you have to hear God say it, by the way. You have to get around his word. 
to hear him say, do not be afraid. Oh, but God, I am. Oh, I know you are. And I totally get why you are. I'm with you. I'm a fortress. Come, I'm a refuge. Get inside the walls. I'm going to protect you. I'll deal with the chariots. I'll deal with the weapons. Just, just come here. Trust me. Let's stand up together. Uh, Father, we gathered this morning because... You call us to do that. You show up in these settings in unique ways. We acknowledge that, Lord. We don't want to overlook that at all. Your idea was for the church to gather, to come together, to be in a setting where your presence is uniquely among us. Lord, I know that with this many folks here, there are a variety of situations that feel like mountains are gone or the ones that we have looked to they're they're starting to tremble and they're beginning to start crumbling in front of us God we're among your people Lord we're not a people of pretense, Lord. We are a people of honesty in your presence. So God, if I'm here this morning, I'm afraid. Just tell the Lord that. He doesn't mind hearing it. Especially when you say it to him. Because you're staring in the right place. Tell him. And tell him why. Or I'm afraid. Because... God who is listening to you and your fear he gets you in ways that you don't get you he gets that you were created to depend upon him and to need him and then when sin came into the world there was this interruption of our sensing the nearness of God is still in this world. and So you're not educating God to be telling him, God, I am so afraid. You could even tell God that, God, it feels like I don't know where you are. Can you listen to him speaking back to you? I am your strength. I am very present to help you in your trouble. So even if that thing you're so afraid of is 
which by the way may never happen but your hope is not in whether that ever does or does not happen even if even if that happened I am with you I am your fortress I am the river who provides gladness even in that circumstance even in that moment that you are so afraid of pray for those among us this morning who mountains are moving and big things are changing and trembling Lord and, and that's caught their attention God we pray for them this morning God we pray for any of us who find ourselves in that place God you had to write this psalm and inspire its truth to us because our souls would need it we need it this morning Lord God, would you help us to be greater students of those who behold the works of the Lord? Look what he's done. Trust in him. Lord, there are some who are in the throes of conflicts and then they feel the wars of people in their lives. Lord, they, they feel vulnerable to people's emotions, their erratic Activities, their unpredictability. God, I just felt led to pray in particular for, for children in school settings. God, who stand in places that suddenly can become unpredictable, where bullies or intimidators show up and they don't know how to fit in. They don't know if they do fit in and they feel vulnerable in that moment. remember that when we were young it's child size but Lord it's, it's massive when you're there God would you help our children to learn at the earliest age Lord the remedy in our lives is not to avoid the valleys but Lord it's to depend upon you it's to know you in such a way that we know the one who is with us is greater than any who are against us we have courage, Lord. We have courage in these moments and we get it from you standing with us. We don't get it from predictability, Lord. Some of us don't know what's in the future in a season that we're entering. We don't know, Lord, but we know you are with us and so we have courage. God, some are facing health needs. Whether that's a new diagnosis or whether it's a turn of an old diagnosis into a new category. Lord, suddenly the future feels more tentative. The mountain feels trembling. God, you are with us, Lord. Take our hand. Take our hand, Lord. You are with us, Lord. You will not move though the mountains move. Lord, that we are certain of. So, God, we 
Take courage, Lord. I pray for those facing health issues, Lord. Would you give them unique courage this year, Lord? They face moments that are arousing fears, Lord. Would you impart an awareness of you that gives courage to their lives? Lord, we will need courage to travel through this year. Therefore, we will need to hear you assuring us that you are with us. So God, we thank you, not just for the reading of Psalm 46, Lord, we thank you for the truth buried there and our need of it. God, would you remind us again and again and again as we travel through this year, Lord, and would that reminder give us courage as we travel through 2022. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. God bless you guys who are watching. Grateful for you. Hope to see you soon. Praying for you. Please keep us informed of needs that we can be praying about through our prayer chain. We'll see you guys next week.